Well, welcome to 2022. A brand new year is in front of us, and we're glad that you've chosen to start the new year off by gathering for, uh, for worship on our YouTube channel with us. And uh, this is a time of the year when we get um, at least a psychological opportunity for a fresh start and a new beginning. And uh, our culture uh, calls these fresh starts um, New Year's resolutions or opportunities to try to improve ourselves in some way. And uh, so I don't know what change um, initiatives are out in front of you or what you would like to uh, improve about yourself, but I know that the new year does present at least a psychological opportunity. And there is something to be said for turning the page on a calendar and uh, looking at a fresh uh, 12 um, month period of open windows on the calendar that we get to fill. And uh, as life goes uh, in this 21st century, those, uh, those blocks fill up pretty quickly. So uh, making sure that we put the important things in first is, uh, is a good way to start the new year. So we're glad that you're here uh, today on our YouTube channel. Um, it's unfortunate, but those who establish New Year's resolutions, a large percentage of those um, fail or are abandoned by the time we get to Valentine's Day, February the 14th. And um, Forbes magazine did an article um, describing why some people succeed and others fail at uh, making changes or allowing those New Year's resolutions to stick. And uh, so here's five reasons why some people are able to um, make those improvement measures stick and last uh, versus why some end up abandoning them by the time they're uh, hit Valentine's Day. So here's the five quick reasons. When people set a goal, um, it should be a smart goal, which means it should be specific, measurable, attainable, uh, results oriented and time tested. And so establishing a SMART goal, again, starting with something that's specific and measurable makes perfect sense. And uh, so that's an important thing to consider if you're looking at making a change or two in your own life, um, that it would be a SMART goal. Specific, measurable, attainable, results-oriented, and time-tested. And then they go public with their ambition or their intention to change. They invite accountability uh, with someone. So they, they declare themselves. They don't just keep it to themselves, they declare themselves. Uh, number three, they celebrate progress. Um, they reward themselves when they get it right or when they've crossed a mile marker that they've established. They, uh, they understand the, the power and the value of throwing a party for yourself or giving yourself a reward or a treat uh, as you kind of make progress along the way. And then number four, they get up after a setback. And these people realize that uh, setbacks are somewhat inevitable that growth is a process and um, it's not always a straight line up and to the right, that sometimes there are some uh, moments of failure or, or just setbacks and uh, they get up after they've, um, they've taken a step back. And then number five, they understand the 40 day principle where they actually understand that habits are formed over time. And if we do something repeatedly over a window of time, which is often that 40 day window, uh, th those, those patterns or habits become much more part of our brain chemistry and our brain wiring. And we, not that we go on autopilot, but things become a little more automatic. And um, so those are some important principles to think about. That's why the 40 days, if we get past Valentine's Day, there might be something there that becomes a little more of a pattern or a lifestyle change uh, along the way. And as Jesus following people, um, you know, we, we give thanks to God for every improvement that his spirit and his word help us to achieve. 
but ultimately it's a work of God in our life. And um, so we have the grace of God, the presence of the spirit, the perspective of the word that comes and helps us as we, uh, as we experience um, the hopeful transformation uh, into the image and likeness of Christ. That's the goal of the Christian life for sure, is to walk with God and to become more like him. So we're continuing our series of scripture talks called Do Life Differently. And uh, the author of the book of Philippians, where we've been going verse by verse, chapter by chapter through this four chapter book, he finds himself in a, a first century Roman prison. Um, he's writing to his friends in Philippi, which would be uh, modern day Greece. And uh, the book, this four chapter book, takes the form of a handful of mini blogs or essays. And um, Paul is writing uh, thematically about a very, a varying different topics that are relevant for the Christian life in the first century. And um, the centerpiece or the center of gravity, or we've called it the hinges by which the door of Philippians turns, is found in chapter two. And uh, it's our passage to ponder, chapter two, verses five through eight. So I'll read this for us um, today. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God or status with God, something to be used to his own advantage, Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. That's a powerful passage that serves as the center point, so to speak, of the book of Philippians. So our next um, passage that we're going to walk through today is taken from the first verse of chapter three, all the way through to verse 14. And we're gonna talk about being confident or be confident. This is found in this passage. And uh, the conversation for our consideration today is what does it mean for us to truly be confident people? Where do we place our confidence? And Paul addresses that in this passage. And so um, we could use some more confidence as we step into a new year. Um, as we look back over 2021, we give thanks to God for all the blessings and all the generous acts uh, that God has spread out over our lives. And uh, for some of us, there's been some mourning and disappointments and frustrations and, and uh, some heartbreak too, and some significant losses. And as we step into the next year, over the threshold into 2022, uh, we wanna be confident on how we view the future and how we view the God who is the one who is ordering our steps. And um, so I've often found this to be true. Confidence can't be faked. It's the byproduct of being comfortable and convinced, which results in strong conviction. I wanna say that to you one more time. Confidence, it can't be faked. You, you can't pretend to be confident. If you pretend to be confident, people will see right through it. There's an authenticity about legitimate confidence. Uh, so it can't be faked. It's the byproduct. You don't say, I want to be confident. Confidence is the result of something else. And so it's the byproduct of being comfortable with ourselves and being convinced there's a, there's a convincing that happens. So we, we have a conviction about ourselves. We own something to our toes. And uh, so it starts by really accepting ourselves for who we are, being comfortable in our own skin, and then owning some convictions to the point where we're prepared to, um, to uh, go public with those. And so when it comes to stepping into the, into the year ahead, or the year that is now, uh, we, we wanna be comfortable in our own skin and whom God has made us to be and whom he's invited us to be. He's adopted us as sons and daughters into his family. We are securely held by a good God. And so he's made us fearfully and wonderfully made. Uh, we, we wanna live there. And then we wanna adopt and own those convictions and become convinced of them that God has given us in his word. 
and confidence just overflows out of that kind of disposition. So uh, again, on the first Sunday of 2022, we're going to take a look at chapter 3, verses 1 through 14. So let me read this for us today. We'll walk through it in just a moment, but let me just read it. We'll do a survey of it and, and go from there. Uh, Further, my brothers and sisters, Paul writes, rejoice in the Lord. It's no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. It's a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh, for it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit. We'll unpack that in a few moments. We who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh or in our humanity or our lower nature. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence, Paul says. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. He was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage or refuse that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus has taken hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. What a beautiful passage that is. And Paul's moving through this um, line of reasoning to talk about how there is such a thing as false confidence and how there is a true confidence for the people of God and how the past and the future are connected to his um, forward progress, how he forgets and he leans in, forgets the past, leans into the future. So we're going to unpack um, this uh, this morning. So the first thought for consideration, I have three of them, is misplaced confidence. Um, when we place our confidence in the wrong things, we adopt a false sense of security. If we propose that the full weight of our life can be supported by X, Y, and Z, but X, Y, and Z were never designed to bear the full weight of our life, then we will be sorely disappointed when that object of our support or security gives way. And so Paul is saying that I'm writing these things to you again as a safeguard. He says, further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It's no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. Sometimes you hear your pastors say the same things to you because we are um, called to participate in the ministry of reminding one another of what's true and important, beautiful, good, and best. And we do that over and over again. That's why we gather. That's why you join us on our YouTube channel. For some, you might be learning things for the first time. But for those who've been along the way of the Christian faith, you will hear things repeated. And it's not that you're looking for new information, but we all need reminders. And so he says, I'm writing this as a safeguard for you. You know, safeguards keep us from danger. Guardrails keep us from going over the edge to our own peril. And so Paul cautions the Philippian church the Philippian Christians, to be aware of the threat, to be aware of the threat that legalism and false righteousness, which is emphasizing our own self-righteousness, that it's problematic and it threatens our spiritual well-being. 
Um, legalism, it creates a false sense of security because it shifts salvation from grace to earning. Um, legalism is about keeping the law. It's about creating a list of rules. It's about checking the boxes. It's about when we do something right, we feel that we've earned something. So we move from gift, which is what grace is about, getting what we don't deserve, to earning, which is very much how we're raised in our modern world, is that a person goes to work and receives a paycheck. And so we've earned that. And so uh, when we get rewarded or recognized for good behavior, we've earned that. So this is in, uh, ingrained in our psyche or our psychology. And so um, Paul is confronting the first century Philippian Christians who live in that time, in that culture, just as he would be speaking by the Spirit today to us through his word, that we, there is a better way. The gospel collides in many ways with culture. And grace trumps earning. But legalism is an enemy of grace because it puts the onus on us to earn our way or to somehow achieve a standing before God or, or to merit a position before him. And so um, legalism can be problematic because we end up comparing ourselves to others. We feel good about our behavior because we cross compare with others. And so we feel self-righteous because we look at our own um, righteousness and uh, we feel pretty good about ourselves. And so um, Paul is writing and warning. And here's what he writes, as I've already read to you, but I'll read it again. Watch out for those dogs. This is how he's referring to some of the legalists in the first century who were infiltrating the life of the church. He calls them those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. He's talking about circumcision here, and I'll unpack that in just a moment. Circumcision was a really big deal to the ancient Jewish people. God had asked them as a sign of their covenant with God that they would on the eighth day be circumcised. And so Paul is, is referring to these legalistic people who are insisting that the letter of the law be followed in the early church. Um, he's referring to them as mutilators of the flesh. He says, for it's we who are the circumcision. We're the covenant people of God. We who serve God by his spirit. Now, the spirit and the law are not contrary to one another. The spirit was involved in inspiring the law. But if we miss the spirit of the law, then that can be really problematic. And he says here, we are the ones who boast in Christ Jesus, not in the fact that we're keeping the law, but that we boast in what Jesus did for us, the law of love who put no confidence in the flesh. That's, we, we don't put confidence in our own performance or behavior. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence, Paul says. And then he goes on and he, he sort of says, by the way, if these people want to say, here's the, the self-righteous resume that they have, I'll show you mine. And he says here, um, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day. That's what Paul says. I kept the law. I was identifying with the covenant people of God in ancient Israel. Of the people of Israel, I'm part of the people of God. He says, of the tribe of Benjamin, a very important tribe back in uh, the, the ancient world. And the Jewish people understood that. Benjamin was the preferred favored son of, of Jacob and uh, a Hebrew of Hebrews. He, he speaks Hebrew. Uh, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. He had achieved a certain status in the religious um, echelon of his day. He says, as for zeal, he was persecuting the church. In Acts chapter 9, we read about how he was dragging people out and that he was a part of executing uh, early Christians because he was so faithful to the way of the one true God as he had not yet had a revelation of the Lord Jesus. 
As for righteousness based on the law, he says, I was faultless. Now, we just have to pause for a second. Keeping the law or the letter of the law never earns us right standing with God. Now, the law also, which is often referred to as the Older Testament, is not to be set aside and ignored. We only understand the weight and the gravity and the significance of the New Testament covenant by understanding our Old Testament story, our Old Testament roots. There is so much powerful insight and revelation that we learn about God and about human behavior by reading the Older Testament. And we may no longer be bound to the letter of the law, but the principles found in Scripture and in the law are very helpful for us today. In fact, many of the, of the Older Testament laws are expounded on in the New Testament. There are some that are set aside, but for the most part, we read how um, what is, what is uh, fulfilled in the New Testament is foreshadowed in the Old. And so we want to be people who don't uh, set aside or dismiss the Older Covenant or the Older Testament, but we are New Testament people fulfilling the older covenant. Uh, but we don't stand before God based on our merit or checking the boxes or keeping all the rules. We actually understand the principles of scripture that we are to integrate into our lives because behavior does matter. How we live has an impact on our, on our own health and well-being, on our spirituality, on our neighbors, on our, our world around us. Um, but we, we are coming under the rule of Christ as opposed to keeping all the rules. There is a difference. And so um, that's an important thing to consider. So misplaced confidence. Paul says, don't put your confidence in yourself. Uh, we'll keep going. We'll talk about a confident faith now. Words like faith, trust, and belief can be used interchangeably. Um, maybe I'll just quickly share an illustration with you that hopefully will help. Um, if I have uh, belief and faith that a chair is designed to support a human person, um, I see the four legs, I see the back of the chair, I see the material it's made from. I, I have a, a, an intellectual assent and understanding of what that chair is, is comprised of. I trust that the chair will support me only when I put the weight of my body on it. And so faith acknowledges and trust acts. And so faith, trust, and belief are all interconnected. They have slightly different definitions, but they can often be used interchangeably. But most importantly, faith is described as loyal love or allegiance to God. And so when we have faith in God, it's not just, yes, intellectually, I believe that he's true and that he's real. I actually put the full weight of my life on him, believing that he can bear me up. And so uh, a confident faith is about loyal love and allegiance to the one true God. Um, if we look at a story in the New Testament, Peter believed that Jesus was walking on the water and he had faith and he trusted when he threw his legs on the other side of the boat and went for a walk on the water when Jesus invited him. And so you see all of belief, faith, and trust coming together nicely in uh, Peter's act of following Jesus onto the water, which could only be enabled by, by what Christ permitted him to do. So faith that is confident recognizes the righteousness of Christ. We'll keep reading verse seven through nine. Whatever were gains to me, Paul says, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, he says, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. That's where his righteousness comes from, through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. So a faith that is confident focuses on our relationship with Christ. 
And then Paul would go on later and talk about the substance of that faith. He would say that it had to do with a relationship with a powerful God and a relationship with a present God. I want to know Christ, he said. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. I want to know Christ that way and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. And so our faith, as we head into 2022, is not based on my performance, but it's based on my confidence in God, my loyal love or allegiance to the one true God. And uh, Paul says very clearly that righteousness is associated, interconnected to our faith in what Jesus has done, not what I have done. My obedience is an expression of my gratitude for what God has done for me. My obedience is not a way of earning anything before God. And so Jesus says, um, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So it's love for God that motivates our obedience, not about trying to stay out of trouble. Okay, um, we'll keep going here. And um, the last one is number three, confident about the past and the future. And with this, we'll wrap up. Um, the past can trip us up and the future can intimidate us. That's just reality for us as humans. 2021 is behind us, but if not properly addressed, we'll carry uh, remnants of it into 2022 that may not be helpful for our future. I, I like what Dale Carnegie has written. He said, we should live in, he called it, day-tight compartments. Uh, and Jesus himself said, each day has enough trouble of its own. And so we just want to look at today for what it is and deal with the challenges and the problems and take advantage of all the opportunities afforded us as opposed to taking yesterday into today and living tomorrow now when it hasn't happened yet. And Paul writes again, verse 12, not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal. He's not perfect yet, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. I haven't arrived yet. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And so the past can trip us up and the future can intimidate us. We need to be confident that Jesus has redeemed our past. Paul says, forgetting what is behind. I'm not gonna live prisoner to my uh, failures or um, frailties of yesterday. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to um, live with shame from the past and discolor my present and cast a shadow over my future. Paul says here, I'm going to forget those things that are unworthy of my forward progress in the gospel. Sometimes we just need to let some things go. And so forgetting what is behind is really important. We cannot change the past. Uh, it's, it, it, it can have power of us if we keep it with us in the present. But we need to trust Jesus that he can atone and he has atoned for the sins of yesterday. And those things that may have tripped us up in the past, they are in the rear view mirror and we wanna leave them there. And then finally, we need to be confident that Jesus has given us everything we need for the future. Uh, Peter writes and says, God has given us everything we need for life and godliness, which means that uh, whatever curveballs come our way uh, in 2022, God's already given us the grace and the power to bear up under whatever challenges we face. And, and to thrive and to be godly. His spirit is in us, um, reforming us into the image and likeness of Christ. So it's 2022. We have a host of opportunities in front of us. We will experience some challenges. We will encounter some difficulties, no question about it. But if we can stay firmly rooted in Christ, anchored to him, keeping our nose in the good book, I wanna encourage you to open up your YouVersion Bible reading 
app and uh, set out some reading plans and every day set aside sacred time to do sacred things, to meet with God and to stay current with him. He'll give us the grace we need. And uh, whatever uncertainties might be in front of us, the grace of God, the power of his spirit and the beautiful um, companionship of his word will be a wonderful guide and help for us. I wanna pray for you and then I'll bring it back to the host pastors. Father, thank you again today for a brand new year. You have seen fit to keep us in this world and we give you thanks for life. And uh, we are not privy to all the things that are out in front of us in the year ahead, but we do know that you're faithful, that you're good, that you're with us and that we can trust you. And uh, we pray today, God, that your spirit would prompt us consistently and continually throughout the year to give you the loyal love you deserve that we would pledge our allegiance to Christ first and foremost, and that we would truly be the people of God you want us to be. So Lord, help us to uh, thrive in the year ahead. Help us, Lord, to deal aggressively with the sin that threatens our soul and our well-being, and help us to use our spiritual gifts in a way that would serve and add value to the kingdom of God, and help us to be beautiful and brilliant witnesses in the world to the world around us. And may it always be for your glory and honor. And we pray this in the awesome name of God, who is forever Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.